Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. In a small town south of San Francisco, Sheriff Paul DeMoral, played by Pepe Serna, is driving home through the fog when he accidentally strikes a pedestrian, a lone Japanese man. However, before the investigation can take place, the man disappears from the hospital without a trace. At the same time, Japanese mystery author Aki Akahori, played by Ayako, <laughs> okay, played by Ayako Fujitani, takes a trip to San Francisco in order to escape from the press tour for her latest book, A Pot Boiler, in her world-famous Inspector Takabi series. Feeling lonely and vulnerable, she begins a romance with a mysterious Japanese traveler from Reno, played by Kazuki Kitamura. Her new lover is charismatic and charming, but abruptly disappears from the hotel, leaving behind a suitcase and a trail of questions. We're joined today by the director of this wonderful new film called Man from Reno, and that would be David Boyle. David, welcome to Film School. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Let's just get a little bit of the uh, business out of the way right up front. Is it Dave or David? What do you prefer? Uh, I prefer Dave. Okay. David is, uh, that's <laughs> what my, that's what, it sounds like my parents are, are upset with. <laughs> there you go. Somebody calls me David. All right. Well, uh, well, Deb Boyle, thank you for, for being here on Film School. And, um, God, I love a good story, and this film really, truly has all the elements you, you look for, especially in this kind of a film. Um, tell me where the story for uh, Man from Reno came from. Well, I've always loved mystery books ever since I was a kid, and, um, you know, a part of it came from the desire to just take a lot of the things that I loved about those books and combine them with things from my real life, you know, to, that, uh, to kind of personalize it and make it more interesting. Um, you know, I do remember on my past films, you know, there, I I've had moments where I was in, I'd been traveling so much where I didn't even remember which city I was in. And I just wanted to just, escape and have an adventure and I was and I and I I, you know I've never I've never had to do like the like a big Hollywood junket which I'm sure would just drive people which is is really a sort of a an endurance gauntlet but (laughs) um you know it was but that was sort of the seeds of the the idea for this character Aki Akahori I wanted to do a, a mystery that had some subtext about it, subtext that that was about, um, you know, everything from creativity to, uh, uh, you know, identity. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of themes that were kind of rolling around in my head. And, and so the other thing was is that I didn't know if I'd ever get a chance to make a mystery, uh, you know, or more than one mystery. So I, I want, kind of wanted to make a story that felt like the mystery to end all mysteries, you know, mm-hmm. to do something that kind of touched on the touchstones of every single mystery subgenre there is. 
Um, so that was kind of where it started from. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you know, part, part of the reason I made the movie was my desire to make another project with Ayako and Pepe, who play my two leads. Um, you know, I mean, the, the team-up genre is one of the oldest film genres there is. Everything from from uh, Lethal Weapon, you mm-hmm. know, where you have the, 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 two, the two cops who are kind of the opposites of track thing. Um, but I wanted to take that a step further and take, you know, make make a team up movie that was about two two characters who nobody would even imagine that they would ever have any reason to interact with each other, or, or even you know be the lead in a in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I wanted to choose two characters who might in a in a regular Hollywood movie be be the side characters or be the the people who show up for for one scene and then they're gone. And, right. uh, so, so that's how we ended up with this movie that's about a Japanese mystery novelist in her thirties and, uh, and an elderly Latino sheriff who was probably, you know, well past retirement age, but still, still fighting the good fight. Yeah. And what, I mean, it sort of, that's the, the seed of it. Uh, and you're absolutely right. Uh, sh- the Sheriff Paul DeMoral, played by Pepe Serna, is uh, is not the typical sheriff you even see in films, let alone sort of the lead. Uh, but he does by, and his name sort of struck me in that it, 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 he is sort of the moral center of this film as well. Uh, and I... I, the two of them together make uh yeah make a very interesting uh the dynamic between them is they're both i get the sense that with uh demoral's character they're looking they're looking for com- not only companionship and connection but they're interested in um in finding truth i mean they seem to be very very much uh of that same that same ilk yeah, they're they're definitely both. I mean, Del Del Morale has like this, you know. He um, he's the one character in the movie that doesn't have any secrets, if if that makes sense. And, and I hope I, I don't give away too much by yeah. saying that. But he, you know, you you call him the moral center of the of the movie, even though, uh, and, and it's true, he is, you know. Um, but he and Aki both have this this kind of the the common the thing that that binds them together is that they're both kind of pulled into this strange mystery and for her it kind of pulls her out of this downward spiral that she's been in and for him he's just doing it because it's his job because it's the right thing to do you know so that they have very different kind of motivations that bring them together into the story but once they actually unite fairly late in the movie i i hope that people you know really have some genuine affection for both of these characters. Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, both of them. Uh, they're very, and very well acted, uh, Pepe Serna and, uh, I'm going to say, I, Ayako. Ayako. Yeah, there Ayako, you go. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Fujitani. Uh, wonderful. And, and she, they're, I mean, she is particularly vulnerable, Her the, the uh, portrayal of Aki. Vulnerable, open, uh, has uh, some regrets about some things that have happened in her life, but is just really just a, a just I really drawn to her. I you know just sort of a uh, I, I liked her, I liked her decisions generally in the film. 
I liked, uh, and as an actress as well. I thought she just, she's sort of understated, but at the same time, she, you know, she's obviously so important to the film and in, in the in the development of the plot. But um, yeah, Aiko is sort of un- well, not sort of. Aiko is very unique among Japanese actresses for a lot of reasons. Um, and for me, you know, the, the fact that she's perfectly bilingual in, in Japanese and English is a is a big one. But the other thing that really sets kind of sets her apart is. Um, I don't know how how much uh, Japanese TV drama you watch, but uh, you know, the a- actors in Japan are kind of, um, you know, a, a lot of the the TV acting over there. Basically, they say a housewife washing dishes in the next room still needs to be able to follow what's happening on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so so make it big. Yes. You know? Okay. Like it, Yes, and she she doesn't have that, you know. She has this she has this amazing confidence about her to just kind of let the audience be drawn into her, you know, to her kind of aura. I guess is the, the only word that comes to mind. But and um, you know, and, and I and she she has that in in real life. You know, I kind of noticed that from that she has this fragility combined with tremendous confidence, and that's what that's what really made me want her for that part. Well, and just to that point, by the way, we're speaking with uh, Dave Boyle. He is the director of the new film, A Man from Reno. And for those of you within the sound of my voice here in in Orange County, uh, it's been playing at the University Town Center and it's been extended another week. So uh, please go out and see it. Um, it is a terrific film. But I, lately I, I just saw uh, Kumiko, uh, the uh, treasure hunter, and now, yeah. now having seen your film, Man from Reno, uh, these are two very good uh, Japanese uh, actors that I hadn't seen before. I can't say that I'm haven't seen uh, I haven't seen them before. And Rinko, and I'm going to say her uh, Kikuchi. Rinko Kikuchi. Uh, yeah, yeah, Kikuchi is mm-hmm. there. There, these are two really good uh, performances in these two films. And it's good to see. Yeah. It's just it's uh, it's not often that you have an opportunity uh, to to really sh- uh, showcase uh, actresses that we just generally don't see here in the United States. And uh, I, just the performances on the part of both of these actors is just very very good. So, well, between us and Kumiko, hopefully we uh, hopefully there's enough interest in both of these films that you know a whole new genre will be born. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. Well, the and, Japanese woman in peril in America. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, well, I, and that brings me to a question. I, I, I think this is probably the most seamless um, uh, uh, collaboration of uh, an English-speaking dialogue and 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 actors and actors uh, and actresses between Japanese and and English that I've ever seen. I, I can't remember a film that that went back and forth as effortlessly as this film does. Uh, and it really is very understated, but it's also, as you watch the movie, uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's something that I really appreciated. Uh, and I just hadn't seen it d- done so well before. Where have you been working on this particular style for a while or this, this integration of these two different... Uh, languages how how have you been able to accomplish that what was your sort of the, the way you went about approaching this 
Well, in the case of this movie, it's not my first time um, kind of attempting the whole bilingual movie thing. I, I made I've made two other films that had some Japanese dialogue in them. One called White on Rice that played in Irvine theaters in 2009, and um, and uh, I think that you know the 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 thing that we and, and by the way I appreciate that your your comment that that it seems effortless, uh, and that's exactly what we were what we were going for, yeah. <laughs> I guess it's a, you know, it, it, but it was an astonishing amount of work um, behind the scenes um, because, you know, you write a script in English and if you just translate it into Japanese or any other language for that matter, it doesn't quite, um, it doesn't quite come across. It comes, you know, it's the whole, you know, yeah, you got the, you know, the words, but you don't know the music kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I do, I do speak Japanese, but I'm not a native speaker of it. So I relied really heavily on people around me, whether it was my producers, or Ayako herself, or Kazuki, who plays, uh, who plays the man from Reno. Um, and uh, you know, we we had we had our script that was very tightly plotted and everything, but then we, with the Japanese scenes, we tried to include a certain amount of freedom. To be able to reconstruct them in rehearsals, uh, to to you know, it's still the same scene. It still accomplishes the same goal, but it it you know the the dialogue may in some cases was ended up as the opposite of of, of what the line was in the, in the original. You know, to to make it um, just to make it more culturally authentic, mm-hmm. and um, so and we did that. I'm I'm trying to think out of out of 40 somewhat speaking roles in the movie, quite a few of them are are Japanese. You know, close to 20 maybe. I'm I'm not sure what the exact count was, but um, you know, Ayako and I worked for about a week before we started shooting. I mean, we already had like a translation, but she and I worked on on basically just polishing the dialogue and working on making sure that the things that I was trying to say about the characters came through in these in these word choices and everything. And then when Kazuki came in, uh, we shot his scenes during the second week of shooting. The three of us just sat in a hotel conference room for an entire day, rehearsing their scenes together, and you know, essentially just kind of doing a, a Japanese rewrite. Um, mm. And then you know, when we do when we do the actual subtitles, then we went back to the original script for the most part. Um, but in a sense, we were trying to create an experience that. Whether you're Japanese or wh- whether you're uh, an English speaker, you're you're just immersed in the story, yeah. and you're not distracted too. You know, like culture is a part of the story, you know, but it's not it's not everything. If, if that makes sense, yeah. like it's not a didactic kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great frame for it. That, and I think that's true of the whole film. And it it's it's also a testament to the story itself that. that the interaction, I mean, yeah, the, the story itself propels you through this, these scenes, in a way that you you, you in, sort of intrinsically understand what's going on, it, despite English or, or Japanese. It, it doesn't, it doesn't matter as, I mean, it's important, obviously, but it's not the most critical part of the experience of watching this film. Uh, is that difference? Yeah, well, I'm I'm, I'm glad you know it, it, it's uh, I'm you know one of one of the one of the things that I credit my co-writer Michael Larman for is uh, 
he pointed out, you know, in any mystery film, you're going to have a lot of dialogue and people, you know, people figuring things out and talking things over and trying, you know, parsing out clues and everything. And he said from the get-go, you know, you really need to start off the movie with a purely visual sequence that doesn't rely on all that kind of dialogue. And, it, you know, it just kind of cuts right through all the noise. And I think he turned out to be absolutely right. You know, like we, we tried to, to start out the movie with, with uh, yeah. sort of this this weird set piece in the fog. And then, you know, some, some people... Um, well, in, 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 long story short, I feel like that was um, a real smart kind of piece of sleight of hand on on his part to make it feel like like a more visual experience. Even though the movie does, it, it, it is very much, it, and it's meant to be this way. It does. It's meant to have a little bit of a literary feel to it. Like it's more complicated yeah. than the typical mystery film. It's not oversimplified. No, so. it's a it's a pretty complex uh, um, plot, in the sense that yeah. uh, you know the, the the actions of the characters, but um I, and and the the uh, the opening I just seen a couple of movies recently, uh, and this is one of them where the opening scene it puts you in the mind that you're ready for just about anything, I, and that what that that's what I that's what I look for in a film. I go in in the in the first couple of minutes, it sets me up for all kinds of possibilities, and I certainly think that with uh, Man from Reno and the opening you talked about in the fog and and all that, I, I have no idea where we're going, but I'm a, I'm along for the ride. That's the kind of opening I think, <laughs> I, you know, that kind of thing that I I really appreciate about this and uh, and and so yeah it's a it's quite an accomplishment i mean there there there's a lot of it feels like and i i'll throw out a bunch of movie references here and i'm not sure if they're applicable in your mind if that's what you're thinking but this has kind of some chinatown-esque twists in it let's leave it at that and then it there, and there's a little cohen brothers that sort of that opening reminds me of uh of uh, blood simple a little bit there's all kinds of things in here but it's your own film. It's certainly, as I said, a very distinct film because, uh, I, because of the way you've been able to kind of merge different cultures and and update this kind of genre, this noir genre, in ways that I, we haven't seen before. Does that make sense to you? Is what I'm saying? Yeah. No. No. Absolutely. I mean, I love I love all those films. You know, I love um, I love Chinatown, and I think that Chinatown is it is a that movie is a masterclass in um, in construction. It is, you know. It and, is. I mean, I, I I can't even count how many times I've seen it. I mean, our our level of ambition on this movie was was maybe I mean because Chinatown is one of those kind of monumental uh, achievements. You know, the 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 way that they you know, they frame like the L.A. water wars and and yeah. use all kinds of metaphors about the rape of the land and all, all this. It's pretty. It's just an amazing movie. We were trying to make something that plot wise was more along the lines of like a Nancy Drew paperback, <laughs> but <laughs> but we take it we take it seriously. Yeah, you but know, you... that was like that was our challenge. <laughs> well, but you, you couldn't know, help yourself. We... <laughs> <laughs> it may have started out as a Nancy Drew, but you couldn't help yourself here. Because it's certainly much more nuanced and layered than 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 that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you know, well, I, I appreciate that. that was, I mean, that was we we wanted to make something that you know, at its heart, when you boiled it down to the plot beats and the and the reveals, and like if if you just heard somebody give you a a real brief summary of the movie, you would sort of picture one of these old paperback novels. Yeah. But in terms of the atmosphere and the characters and everything, we wanted to make something that was very adult and. Uh, you know, as classy and sophisticated as we could make it, but you know, but going back to, to Chinatown or or you know, any oh, lots of the uh, you know, Chinatown is the classic hard-boiled narrative, the sort of the quintessential American um, detective uh, genre, where you have a character who's thrust into a situation that they don't understand yeah. and. And by and large, you know, you're not really meant to understand the hard-boiled narrative, like from the the first time that you watch it or read it. In, in the case of a novel, yeah. you're just, it's just kind of an experience. But we wanted to take, we wanted to combine, you know, that um, that quintessentially American genre of, you know, like the Philip Marlowe. Yeah, big sleep, or, big sleep. Uh, this is another uh, reference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. So, no, 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 yeah. no, exactly. Big Sleep. We, we wanted to combine that with, um, you know, the Japanese detective fiction has its own sort of peculiarities and formulas and everything. Like, they they call it deductive reasoning fiction, where there's a, a lot more of characters, you know, parsing out clues and de- de- deducing the, you know, it's a, it's a little bit more, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but it's a little bit more dry. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit more of an intellectual puzzle. And uh, we we kind of wanted to combine those two genres and just see what would happen, you know. That that was the experiment here. Well, uh, well uh, by the way, we're speaking with Dave Boyle, the director, also writer and editor uh, of the film Man from Reno. And and I think that in some ways that's uh, sort of I noticed that in watching uh, uh, Sheriff uh, Del Moral, uh, he and his daughter sort of show up to tell you. Oh, here's some clues. Oh, here's there are characters in here who definitely show up in in the in the film to tell you things that you mm-hmm. need yeah. to know, and then they 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 may or may not fade away, but they're there for that reason. They seem, and that's I think that's where I'm seeing the combination that you were just describing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's there's the. Um... There's the the dragnet scenes, the yes. just the facts man yes. kind of scenes, and then there's there's the stuff. Aki's <laughs> side of the story is a little bit more character driven, a little bit darker, and yeah. a little bit more emotional. Um, and so, yeah, you know, it's 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 one of those things where um, me and and Michael Lerman and Joel Clark, my my co-writers, this for all three of us, this was our first mystery. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't. I, don't I, I know I've been like a mystery nut my whole life, and they, um, you know, they they're both big fans of the genre too. So uh, it was, you know, it was, it was a real kind of education in in genre construction. I, I don't know about those guys, but for me, I'm like addicted. You know, like <laughs> it was so much fun to, to put it together. I just can't wait to make another one. Well, now um, let, let's shift gears just a little bit in the time I have left with you here. Um, the film has done remarkably well. It's, uh, it was uh, nominated for a Spirit Award for uh, for the John Cassavetes Award. Um, Avi, congratulations on that. That that had to feel good. Oh, thanks. Uh, it's, oh man, 
such a big surprise. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I think it's a testament to the work. Uh, you've been in a number of film festivals. I, I just saw Rotten Tomatoes. I know that's not the only source of information about film, but 95% rating there. Um, I, I'm sure this has just been quite a, a ride. And now, as I said at the top of the interview, extended runs across the country uh, with at different theaters because it's getting great word of mouth. Um, I, I, so I'm, this is a long way of asking you. You go from director to you're writing it, you're directing it, and then you're going into the editing of it because you were part of that process. How much did all of that kind of, the, 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 the writing and the directing, when you got in to edit this film, was there a, a significant change in tone? Did you emphasize characters more? How did the evolution in the editing room take place for Man in, from Reno? You know, I feel like we 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 were lucky. We had a, a pretty nice long uh, post production uh, period, which is, which is kind of essential on a on a on a really low budget film, mm-hmm. just because you know. It, I mean, you can't afford to rush it, so you you might as well take your time. But it's funny, like it it actually um, it didn't change that much. There wasn't like a wholesale. There weren't like obviously, you know, any any time you watch a first cut of a movie, there there are problems, and then you spend the rest of post production basically just solving those problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, there were. You know, the the first cut of the film ran something like two hours and twenty minutes, so we did cut out about a half an hour. Yeah. Um, and uh, a lot of that was was actually just shearing back some subplots. Like there there were a couple of more, a couple more Aki and Danger episodes in in her hotel room. There were a few more things um, towards the end that uh, you know. Well, uh, there was there seemed to be. The sort of the uh, the friend who knew her secret that that seemed like a plot line that may have been trimmed back a little bit to me. Was that um, you know I'm... a little bit, a little bit, okay. yeah. There's a, a little bit more of him originally, and yeah. there was um, you know the pro the epilogue was a little bit longer, but mm-hmm. I mean mostly what it was about was just finding the balance of because we 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 wanted to create this kind of weird uh, mood. And um, to, to let people just kind of sink into the mystery, and a lot of it was just all about uh, finding that balance. Because if it's if it's too if it's cut too fast, you know, like our second cut of the movie was, we decided to to start intercutting these two stories way earlier and way faster, hmm. and it was just a disaster. It didn't it didn't work at all. Like it, it basically just completely violated the design of the movie. Hmm. And then so we just we went back and you know our our final cut actually resembles our first cut a lot more than it resembles our our second cut. Um, you know from the beginning we we talked a lot about confident storytelling. Yeah. You know like yeah. a a confident storyteller uh, knows kind of knows when he has the audience's attention and um, doesn't feel like there has to be too many bells and whistles to to. You know, and and so and so that's what we did. From we we just decided to trust our gut, trust the design of the of the movie, and even though it's it's unconventional, it's a little bit different, and the the pacing is is perhaps a little bit 
more old-fashioned than most movies that are coming out in 2015, we decided to, to just own it, you know, to yeah. own that, what it was. And uh, as soon as we, we kind of figured that out, then solving the rest of the problems that remained and just figuring out the pacing of each individual scene, then that was no problem. Well, I got to tell you, that's very encouraging just to hear you, 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 you tell this, talk to talk about this, because trusting your instincts is essential as an artist. I, I believe that. And but but the extra burden of that is when you have lots of money on the line, lots of other people's careers and reputations involved, it's it becomes a little more problematic in some ways or a little more uh of a high wire act if you will so your instincts were correct here i i, I love the pacing of the film I, I was drawn i was with it the whole time uh and i i wanted to say something about the sound design and and the music too before i before we get out of this it it, it all worked really well and i really like the music it, it it's uh i don't know um you know who was in charge of pulling all that in? But it uh, it works exceptionally well. The sound design as well in this film. Yeah, the sound design was by uh, his name is Carlos Sanchez, and he he's at Warner Brothers Post Production. He's a longtime friend of mine, and uh, you know he he and I have been working together for for long enough that um, we you know we kind of have that shorthand that comes with many years of experience, and um, it, he's. You know he's great. He 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 found all these. The the thing, the main thing that we talked about is that we wanted ninety percent of the sounds in the movie to just be organic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanted to create atmosphere. You know, there a lot of it takes place in this old hotel, and Carlos found a lot of these great old sounds of you know, like every, everything sounds just a little bit older than it should. <laughs> um, and we it was, for some reason that that kind of just helps put the audience in the right headspace for this kind of story. Uh, so, you know, like all the elevator sounds and the phones and everything, it's just slightly, slightly old. And then on the music side, the the score is by Micah Dahl Anderson. And, um, you know, I told him that I didn't want it to sound too electronic, but I did, I wanted something that I hadn't heard before. You know, I didn't want to necessarily be able to identify every instrument that was playing. Yeah. Like, Oh, there's there's the clarinet solo or whatever, <laughs> um, and uh, so I, I just kind of you know we we talked a lot about um, kind of give uh, you know not not necessarily not necessarily giving each character a theme or or the, or the usual kind of conventional scoring methods, but yeah. just kind of giving giving the scenes um, a little extra something that. They kind of push it along, but aside from the score, you know, every actually every piece of music in the movie is is original. Um, when they're in that old hotel and all those old jazz cues that you're hear, hearing on the radio and stuff, those are actually all original pieces that were made for the movie. Um, you know, I, I didn't want. I mean, part of that was, as you can imagine, a budgetary thing, but it was actually more of a creative uh, decision than a than a budgetary one, just because I, I wanted to. I didn't want the audience to have that that kind of familiarity that comes with hearing like you know the same oldies that you hear in every movie. I just want to, but we we made oldies of our own yeah. to kind of put them in a different headspace. Well, uh, it's just terrific. Uh, the Man from Reno. It's a wonderful film. Um, all congratulations and all the acclaim. Um, again, 
you know, the, the, the Spirit Award nomination, the John Cassavetes for an ensemble work uh, for a film under a $500,000 budget, it's all on the screen. I mean, this is, as you said, you know, two hours, it's close to two hours. I think an hour and 51 minutes is what the running time is. But it looks, you're a lot of setups, you're all over the place. Uh, obviously, I don't know what your uh, shooting schedule was. It, I had, it had to be more than 20 days. How many days were you shooting? Yeah, it was more than twenty. I'm yeah. I'm really not into this whole you okay. know, like now even for like over a million they want you to shoot it for eighteen days. But yeah, we were twenty five days. Twenty five days. Well, just fantastic uh, on all counts. I mean, it has a it has a rich look to it. Varied cinematography is terrific. The pacing, the music, the acting. I I can't wait to see more. And I I've just barely mentioned. You said Kayuki, I think is how you pronounced it. Uh, Kitamura. Oh, Kazuki. Kazuki. No, I'm sorry, that I heard it wrong. Kazuki uh, Kitamura. I thought he was wonderful in it. He is perfect for that for the role that he was cast in. Um, and so, yeah, just uh, my congratulations. I I I hope it continues to sort of uh, your film Man Formido continues to spread the word around. Uh, I certainly will do my my share my part. Uh, and getting people into the theaters. Uh, do you have a, a, a sort of a plan for uh, VOD and anything else beyond that uh, coming up, or uh, how's that? Yeah, VOD will be out. We're we're gonna keep we're gonna keep doing this theatrical thing. As of now, we're scheduled to go as wide as 30 cities over the next few months. Okay. Um, and hopefully, we'll keep it going through the summer, and that comes out on VOD in August. Okay. Well, uh, Dave Boyle, writer, editor and director of The Man from Reno. Check it out, please. Uh, Dave, thank you so much for being a part of Film School. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.